your Bibles to the book of Romans in this sermon series. I hope that you open it to the book of the Romans often, but open your Bibles to the book of Romans, get your sermon notes out, and we are at the final sermon in our Romans road trip. This is an emotional experience for me because I went back in my notes and I realized that this weekend a year ago is when we began our journey. That the majority of your teaching for the past year has been from the book of Romans. And we've taken our time as we've gone, sometimes chapter by chapter, sometimes verse by verse, but we have worked our way through the book of Romans and we are now at the end in chapter 15 and 16 and we are going to do a review, if you will, and get inside of us all that God wants us to know from the book of Romans. And the thing I love about the book of Romans is here's Paul who writes the majority of the New Testament, but here's Paul who gives his deepest, most theological work to the Roman church, and and he answers the big questions not just of that day, but of our day of what is sin, what about heaven, what about hell, do we get to have free will, or does God determine everything for us? All these big questions are answered by Scripture in the book of Romans. And all of the sermons are pieces of a whole. As we review today, we'll kind of do kind of, a, a, kind of a broad brush stroke, if you will, of the book of Romans as we come in for a landing. But I want you to be able to go back, and any message you want to listen to is available free online. And they're just now adding all the videos online as well. So if you'd rather watch online, you can watch past videos as well. But we're going to review this and look at this because Romans explains the Christian life in its entirety. All you need to know about the gospel, all you need to know about living out the Christian life is found in the book of Romans. It is the good news, and that's why we want to take a look at it, this final look at it, and get it inside of our heart as we bring this to a conclusion. There are three overwhelming facts, I call them, in the book of Romans, and how he starts and how he brings it to a conclusion. There's these three overwhelming facts that that are right there for us to see. And the first overwhelming fact found in the book of Romans is that there is sin in our life. That you and I are sinners without an excuse. We have an overwhelming, overflowing sin problem in our life. But there's an answer to that sin problem. And the next overwhelming fact, the overflowing fact in the book of Romans is the fact of grace. That there is God's grace for our sin. And God's grace is always greater than our sin. And so that's the second fact, the overwhelming fact of the book of Romans. And as he brings it to a conclusion, how does this grace play out in our life? And we're going to call it work, that we would be overflowing in our work for the Lord, our our diligent labor for God. And we're going to look at that in chapter 15 and 16. But let's begin with the sin. And let's begin there for a moment. Because in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, he tells us, you are a sinner. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, how much you know about God, how little you know about God. Whether you know the law or don't know the law, it doesn't matter. You are a dirty, rotten sinner. He wants us to get that overflowing fact that I am overflowing with sin in my life. And in Romans chapter 3, we came to our first road sign that will be on the screen. And we hit that first road sign that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all 
sinners. We've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. We're all in iniquity. However you want to define sin, it is a part of our life. Look at the screen. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. Now look at this verse. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Look at the word there, all. God demands our perfection. He says, you've got to do everything I've asked you to do all the time. And when you begin to realize that, you begin to realize how short you fall. J. Gresham Macon was a Princeton scholar, and he wrote this, and and allow this to sink in. He said, a low view of the law always produces legalism, while a high view of law makes a person a seeker after grace. Now look at that. That a a low view of the law will will produce legalism in our life. Now, for me, I don't know, when I first saw this, it kind of said, no, I think he's got it backwards, right? Because if I have a high view of the law, then I'll be legalistic, right? Because because if I got that high view, that's going to produce that in my life. And when I thought about it more, I thought he's absolutely right. That if I have a low view of the law, that somehow, well, I think I can be good enough. You know what? I think I can, I think I can make it. I think I'm going to be okay. I think I could actually pull this thing off. If that's your view of the law, you have a very low view of the law. And you will be severely disappointed in life. And you will be not only disappointed with yourself, because you're going to fail. Because you're going to say, I think I can pull this off. No, you can't. God says, you must do everything I ask you to do. You know, you, you, you have to get this in your heart and life, because you're going to fail. And if you have a low view of the law, and, and, and you're going to set yourself up for, for failure, but not just that, for all the relationships of your life. For your spouse, for your children, for your co-workers, for your friends, for your neighbors. You're going to think, I think we can do this. I think we can pull this off. And they're all going to fail. And so what we need to do is have that high view of the law. I mean, that, low, that high view of the law that we come to ourselves and we say, I can't do this. I'm ruined. I am a sinner. I am lost. We've got to have that high view of the law that says, I need to be rescued. Because in and of myself, I'm never going to make it. And, and, and then we not, we're not so disappointed when people around us fail because that's okay. We, we expect them to fail. That's what happens in life. But then God's grace comes in. But back to this idea of sinning in our life. We are so reluctant to call ourselves sinners. We're so reluctant to use that word, but yet it needs to be because God demands perfection. None of us would claim to be perfect. I know that none of us would claim that. But, but if I compare myself to other people, I'm doing pretty good, right? That's what you might say. But the reality is, is we don't get to compare ourselves to other people. And even if we do compare ourselves to other people, we're still going to fail. I was listening to a, a radio interview this week of someone that had kind of given their life to Christ and were doing amazing things for God, making amazing sacrifices for Jesus. And I was listening to them, and I'm like, man, my life doesn't even compare to what you're doing. And, and, and I'm comparing myself to this person who's still a rotten sinner, and, and yet now I'm going to try to compare myself to a holy God? That compare game does not work when God enters the picture, when holiness enters the picture. And any self-righteousness that we have, Paul deals with it very clearly in Romans 1, 2, and 3, that we are without excuse. 
If you look at chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, if you've got your Bibles, you can look there. Otherwise, just look on the screen, and let's look at this together. Not reading it, but you can read it. I'm just going to talk about it. This, these verses tell us that we are wicked. If we could put 18 through 20 on the, on the screen. These verses tell us that we are wicked. That is our default setting. We choose what is evil rather than what is good. In fact, we hate what is good. And, and we, in our heart, choose to reject God. Whether we know a lot about Him or a little about Him, it doesn't matter. We choose to reject God. And in verse 20, it's very clear, we are without excuse. And so instead of choosing the great I Am, the Yahweh that we sang about today, the, the all-sufficient one, the incorruptible, the infinite, we choose whatever we want to do, and then we do it. And we trade the truth for a lie. And we are all without excuse. That's just how we're wired. That's what we do. And we end up just living however we want to, getting farther and farther away from God, storing up wrath. We store up His judgment. Paul talks about that and says, how does God judge us for our sin? And in the Old Testament, we know that floods came and we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what happened when people rebelled against God. What about the New Testament? What does Paul say happens to us when we reject God? He says, you know what happens is God just leaves you alone. He says, you know what? You can, just, you can just go on with your sin. If that's what you choose, you can have sin. And he turns us over to our sin. And I want to tell you, the Bible is very clear that sin will destroy your life. God says, if that's what you're going to choose... I will turn you over to all the uncleanness, all that lust, all that reprobate mind that you have. I'm going to turn you over to that. If that's what you want, I'm going to abandon you to your sin. And that's, I mean, that's heavy. Because that's the judgment that's coming against us. It says in the Message Bible, in, in verse 28, it says that, that God stopped bothering them and then all hell broke loose in their life. God says, if that's what you want, that's what you can get. But Paul also says, you know what happens that, that whole time while we're just being turned over to sin? God is storing up his wrath against us. That he's storing up our judgment. And that someday we will stand condemned before God because we chose to reject him and do whatever we wanted to do. It is not Adam and Eve's fault. You stand before God for what you have chosen to do. And your default setting of always going towards sin. And when I realize how big a sinner I am, I realize I need some help. I need some help. I am not going to pull this thing off. I am in big trouble. I am doomed. I have this overflowing sin problem in my life. But I love that that's only the first three chapters and then beginning in chapter 3 all the way through chapter 12, he then says, well, I've got, a, I've got a plan, and that is grace. God had a plan from the very beginning to save us by his grace. And that grace only comes through faith in Christ. That was our next road sign that we saw on the way that we had to have faith in Christ. And it's, that's the only way. That was a one-way sign. That we were dead in this barren relationship with the law and it was going to kill us, but then it's, we're now dead to the law. We're made alive and new in Christ and we walk with Him following the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't belong to the law. We don't belong to sin anymore. We now belong to God and God's grace is active in our life. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. 
It says, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace is greater than sin. God's grace, this overflowing fact of the Christian life, is greater than our sin. And that's the good news. That God's grace is bigger than your sin problem. We hit the next road sign on a Romans road trip in Romans chapter 6. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love that. That you want the paycheck at the end of your life for all you've done, it'll be death. If you want your wages, that's what you'll get. But if you want that free gift that comes through Christ, you can have it. That free gift of eternal life. But that free gift that's free for you and me wasn't free, was it? Jesus had to go to the cross. He had to die on the cross. I want to go to Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26 and and dive in there and, and look at what Jesus did for us. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Paul is saying Jesus did a lot on the cross. And and we looked at four things that Jesus did on the cross. And you can write them down or you can go back and re-listen and and, and re-kind of put those inside of you. But the four things Jesus did on the cross is he made atonement for our sins. That's the first thing. He made atonement. It means to to be a sacrifice, to to repair the wrong that was done. It biblically means to remove our sin by the shedding of blood. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He removed our sin. There was redemption on the cross. He bought us back. He paid the ransom price. And we are now released from the guilt of our sin, again, by the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. We are justified. There's justification because of what Jesus did on the, on the cross. And this is a legal term from that time period indicating a a verdict of not guilty. But how can that be? Because we know that we're guilty of sin, don't we? We are guilty. You know what justification means? It means that it's just as if I'd never sinned. Have I sinned? Yes. But you know what? There's no penalty for me because Jesus already paid the penalty. You may be guilty, but there's no penalty for you. And the last one is propitiation. And that's a a Greek or Gentile understanding that God is angry with me and we have to appease His wrath. And and, and, and Paul talks about that how God's wrath was appeased by what Christ went through as He died for our sins. And all of these things and this grace, grace actually means gift. This is a gift from God. And we receive it by faith, not by works. We can't do anything for it. We can't boast about getting this grace. It's Him doing it for us. As the hymn says, Nothing in my hands I bring, only to Thy cross I cling. That's the message of grace. And that's what Jesus did on the cross for us. He didn't wipe out the law. He just fulfilled the law. And He fulfilled it on the cross. And He said, It is is finished. It's complete. It's done. It's all now past tense in our life. And we share the victory that Jesus won on the cross for you and me. 
So listen to me. It's not just that the, the lost get saved, but now the saved get victorious. Because God gives us His victory from the cross when He said, it is finished. We have victory over death. We have victory over sin. We have a new life. And everything God's doing in our life is now past tense. And we talked about the process that God walks us through. That process that's found in uh, Romans chapter 8. God's plan for us. In the beginning, He foreknew us. He knew who we were. It wasn't just that He knew, but that, that He saw us. That He called us just as He saw Israel. He says, I've chosen you. I've called you. He's done that to us. He knew us beforehand. He predestined us. He determined or ordained what? That we would be conformed into the image of Christ. He called us. He bid us to come. But it wasn't just a, a call to everyone. Like I'm preaching to everyone today. He called you by name. He knew you by name. And He has called you. He has justified you. Just as if you'd never sinned. The penalty has been paid. And now we are glorified. That we are receiving that new name and that new nature. And, and, and if you notice, each of these words are in the past tense. Each of these words have already been done because Jesus says, it is finished. And we are in that process of becoming like Christ. And yeah, we may trip and fall, but grace is greater in our life and we belong to God and we belong to that grace. And now I belong to Him. I don't belong to sin. I don't belong to this world anymore. And when God's at work in my life, I'm going to begin to see the fruit of God happening in my life. This is the good news of God. That He's at work inside of me. That I had a problem, but He saved me. And now He's doing His work, bringing it to completion. It's read in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Bible makes it clear that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God dwells in us. That means we are brand new creatures. We have a new identity. We have a new family. We have a new name. We're playing on a new team. We have a brand new mentality and direction and desires and destiny in our life because God is living on the inside of us. He loved you so much. He says, I want you to be a part of my family. I want to do this in your life. And we spent more time in Romans 8 than any other part of the book of Romans. And if you remember at the beginning of that chapter, it said, uh, the kind of the bookends there, that first one says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That my grace is greater than any sin that you've ever done. But you don't belong to that sin anymore. You belong to me. And he talks about being in Christ and, and following the Spirit. And then he ends the book. The other book, and on the other end of that chapter, is that nothing will separate me from the love of God. That he loves me so much. And that my life is found in him. And this is the good news that I may have been lost in sin. But now I am alive in the grace of God. And that's the good news. So that leads us to this final part. And we've been talking about in, in chapter 12, 13, 14, how we offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, that we live for Him, that, that we give ourselves to Him, that we submit to 
authority as we're submitting to God and all those, those great things that we've learned in these passages of scriptures about being sensitive to God's leading in our life. But in this last part, it might sound funny to talk about work in, in relationship to grace because I can't do anything to, to receive grace, but that's not what we're talking about here. We are to be overflowing in the work of the Lord. But what is Paul talking about when he talks about this in this final moments in the book of Romans? And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at Romans 1 and Romans 15 together. And we'll start in Romans 1. Because he begins the book as he ends the book, sharing about him coming to visit them. And what's on his heart when he comes. Now when you look back in in chapter 1, here's Paul, probably the the greatest man of faith in, 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 in the Christian life. I mean, we're talking about an intellectual, we're talking about somebody so yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 1, in the book of Romans, he begins by talking this way with them. Before we start talking about the sin and the problems we have, he says in verse 14, for I have a great sense of obligation to the people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the uneducated uh, to the educated and uneducated alike. He begins by saying, Paul begins by saying, I am obligated, or I am a debtor. That's how he begins this book. And he says, I- I'm obligated to come to you. And what's interesting about this, this verse here is he's talking about, or he's using, I should say in the Greek, slave language that I am obligated, that I am called by God. I am, I, am, I am under His service, and I am one that is bound by this duty to come to you, to serve this world that God has placed me in, that God has done so much for me. It's falling apart. He's done, the, the sin is so heavy, it's not going to, no. Um, that he's done so much for me that I am obligated to share what he's done in my life. I'm obligated to do that. And you think about Paul, who was an enemy of God, who hated the church, who killed Christians. By the grace of God, his life completely turned around. And when his life turned around by the grace of God, he says, you know what? I am now obligated to God. I'm obligated. And then he goes on in, in, in the following verses, in verse 15, I am eager, he says, I am ready. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. I'm eager, I'm, I'm ready to tell what God has done for me and what he can do for you. I can't wait to get there. There's this sense of urgency in his tone. And then finally he says in the next verses, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Verses 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This is the good news. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. He says, I am not ashamed of the power of God. That dynamite power of God that can change somebody like me. And Paul always calls himself the chief of sinners. And he's not just saying that to, to put himself down. He's saying, look, I was the enemy of God. I was on the wrong side of this. I was destroying the things that God wanted to do. And yet God saved me. And if he can save me, he can save anybody. And, and he says, I am not ashamed of the power of God in my life. 
And I want to tell you that you should never be ashamed of the saving power of Jesus Christ in your life. You should never be afraid to say the name of Jesus and what He has done in your life. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to know what kind of person I'd be without Jesus in my life. That if I was just turned over to my sin and did whatever I wanted to do, I don't ever want to see that guy because I have been changed by the grace of God. Not anything I've done, but what God is doing in me. And I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And you should never be ashamed of what God has done in your life. Don't let anybody on the outside shame you from saying the name of Jesus. Shame you from talking about what God has done in your life. They may make fun of you. They may persecute you. But as Paul said, I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the dynamite power that will take you from a life of sin to eternal life. And I'm going to tell anybody that will listen to me. That's what Paul's saying. I will work for God. I will tell anybody that will listen to me. They may make fun of me. They may beat me. They may throw me in prison. But I will tell anybody about the power of God to change a life. Because that's the good news. That's the story of God. That I am lost in my sin, but I can have grace because of the cross. And there's power in that. And he says, I am not ashamed. Now come to chapter 15 and look at this with me. It'll be on the screen. Romans chapter 15 and verse 19. And this is Paul talking here. And, and, he, and he says as he comes to a conclusion, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now, you think about that. That means I've, I've shared it with everybody. Everywhere I can go. That's what Paul says. Now jump down to verse 23 with me. He says, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, he says, since I've preached everywhere else I can preach, since, since God's Word's been shared everywhere, and I wanted to come see you, I plan to do so <coughs> excuse me, when I go to Spain, when I continue on to go to a place that's never heard the Gospel yet. As I go into a whole new area of the world, I'm going to come and see you. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. That's a powerful thing. Can you say that you have shared Jesus with everyone in every, in every place you can? Paul says, you know what? I've told about Jesus everywhere. The whole world that I know about knows about Jesus. And you know what? Now is not the time to retire. Now is not the time to sit back and say, well, I guess we're done now. Now it's time to go to someplace new. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm going to keep working for God. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep sharing the good news. And so I'm going to go over to Spain. I'm going to stop while on my way west. And I'm going to stop with you. And I love what he says. And you, you'll assist me as I go on. Basically say, I'm going to take up an offering when I come. So be ready to give because you're going to... Aren't you lucky to get to help me to go on and preach the gospel? That's what Paul's saying here. You're going to assist me. And, and I'm going to go on and I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep working for the Lord. I'm going to keep proclaiming this gospel that I'm not ashamed of. And when you, when you see that and think about that, and you think about Paul's life, I always go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
Because here's Paul saying in the Corinthian letter, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding or overflowing in the work of the Lord, knowing that, you're, that, the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I love that. I'm going to be abounding, overflowing in my work for God, knowing that my work for the Lord is never in vain. That's the call of our life. You may say, well, I've, I've, I've worked for God, or maybe I've helped at the rummage sale, I've done this. I don't know if it really matters. Anything you've done for the Lord matters. It is not in vain. You say, well, you know, I've done it all. I'm kind of done, Daryl. I'm just going to coast till I, till I get to heaven and see Jesus. That is not the attitude that God is calling you to have. He's saying, you've got to keep going. You've got to keep living for me. You've got to keep telling the good news. You've got to keep proclaiming this gospel. You can't be ashamed of it. See, we've been saved from sin. That sin that was going to destroy our lives by the grace of God, what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, what a beautiful free gift that we get from God. And now we just live to tell about it. We live to tell about what God's doing in our life. And, and you say, well, yeah, I'm trying to be a better person. It's not about you trying to be a better person. It's just that now God's made you new on the inside. You are not the same person you were before Jesus was in your life. And there is power when you submit to His work. Because His work is being done in your life right now. And He has declared that it will be brought to completion. And all we need to do is get close to Him, be near Him, talking about Him. I tell you, tell you the more you talk about Jesus out of your lips, whether it be to your family, whether it be to your friends, to your co- the, more, the more boldness starts to come, the more life starts to come. Don't be ashamed to say the name of Jesus. To, to live that out as Paul did. And just do it until they take your head off like they did Paul. He kept talking about Jesus and talking about Jesus and talking about Jesus. And the last time he talked about him, he went to be with Jesus. What a beautiful way to go. See, today in our life, we've got to deal with this issue. And I love as we come to a conclusion in the book of, of Romans, we, we realize that this really is the story of God. That this is really the, the, the Christian life in a whole picture here right there in the book of Romans. And I want you to bow your heads and your hearts with me today as Pastor Jonathan comes back to lead us in a time of, of worship. But I want us to pray before we go into that time of worship because the, the song we're going to sing is actually going to be a confession of our mouth of what Jesus has done for us. It's just an old hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to talk to you as we have kind of skimmed over the the book of Romans today. I want to just talk to you with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I really want you to begin to think about this. I want you to make sure that you are in the grace of God. Because if you are in a life of sin, God is not bothering you. He will turn you over to that. He'll let you have whatever you want. But if you desire what Christ did on the cross to be counted toward your record, the Bible is very clear in Romans chapter 10, which was the last road sign that we saw on our trip. And he says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Today as we sing this song, whether for the first time, a time to renew that commitment, or maybe you can sing this song with boldness today, this is going to be the confession of our mouth. That Jesus is Lord. That He died on the cross for my sin. And that I am now forgiven of my sin. That I am now a life of grace. And God's grace is always going to be greater than my sin. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand and sing. And that song will be the confession of our mouth. And we will be saved. God, we love you today. We honor you. We worship you, God, today. God, it's been so good to be in your presence. But God, it is so good to see your story. That God, we were lost in our sin. That you came and died on a cross. You forgave our sin. That we live that life of grace. That life of completion in you. And God, that you're at work in our life. And because you're at work in our life, we're going to go to the work of just telling everybody that you're at work in our life and that you can be in the work in everybody's life. And God, as we sing today, may it be the confession of our heart. May we just sing boldly today and every day of your love for us. Would you stand with us this morning, everybody, and let's just worship the Lord and make this song. Think about the words you're singing. Make it the confession of your mouth today. And how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. 